Would you guys pray with me one more time? I feel the need. Father in heaven, we gather in the beautiful name of Jesus, and your word tells us that you are with us this morning, and so we welcome you and we ask you that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, that my words would be your words, my thoughts, your thoughts. Strike the words from my mouth that would not come from you, the thoughts from my head. Father, I ask you now, mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're, you just heard that read from the book of Ephesians. Joel just read from chapter 6. And I want to give us a little context on this book because Paul is writing this book, St. Paul, the apostle, is writing this book to a church in Ephesus. And he's writing from the confines of his prison cell in Rome. It's right around 62 AD, and Paul is in prison. He's where he's been wanting to go all along to make his appeal to Caesar, and that's where he is, under Roman guard. And we believe that in this prison, he wrote several letters. They're called his prison letters, like Colossians, the book of Philemon, and this book to the church at Ephesus. And, and there's thought that the same courier brought them to all three churches, and we're thinking that maybe he brought them all, left all the same day. His name was Tychicus. And he's the one that delivered it to Ephesus. And these words to the church at Ephesus are unlike his other letters because they're really meant to be an encouragement because he's heard really good news Paul has about what's been happening in Ephesus. And Ephesus is important to Paul because he founded the church there. And he's now heard from reports that they're doing really well. And so he's writing to encourage them, but he's also writing them to warn them to be on guard. And so you can divide this letter into two sections. The first part of it is a reminder to them of the gospel, that the gospel being that the, the people of Israel, the story of the children of Israel has found its resolution in the person of Jesus Christ. And thereby they themselves have become adopted, grafted into this body that Jesus has come. And now they are a part of this family. And he's also then, in the last three chapters, reminding them then how they should live as this new person, as this new family member. How that God's rule for their life, Jesus' instructions, is to impact every aspect of their lives. Their personal life, their family life, their community life, their life in the neighborhood. Everything should be impacted by the life of Jesus. And then he concludes this letter with this warning that we just heard read in Ephesians chapter 6, he's saying, but be on guard, be strong in the Lord. And what he's really telling them is that while this major battle has been won, you're still living in enemy territory. Don't forget that. You're still living with bullets and everything flying overhead, and so you need to be reminded that you are in a battle, and that battle wages every day. Today we want to look at a part of that battle, and for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at these nine verses to see how it is that God is calling us to battle, because this letter is, in essence, written to us as well, because we find ourselves in the midst of a battle. And we find ourselves as followers of Jesus, and we too are called to have his life impact every part of our life. We are called to look, live, and love more like him. And so also in how we battle because we can find that out through his disciples and what he taught as well. And so we're going to look at those first four verses in that section, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. 
where Paul starts up and talks to us this morning as he's talking to the church at Ephesus. And as we look at this, I'd like to use an outline that Pastor Tim Keller uses to help understand this section of Scripture. And he does it three ways. And, And this is the way I'd like to outline it. Who is it that we're fighting? What is it that we're fighting? And how is it we should fight? So who are we fighting? What are we fighting? And how should we fight? The first part, who are we fighting? Well, Paul makes it pretty clear in his text here that we're not fighting flesh and blood. No, we're fighting an enemy that's evil. We're fighting a spiritual enemy. And he calls the devil's schemes. And and we would say that that is Satan. Now, I know when I say that or I talk about the devil, there's a good chance that some of you in this room have just looked at me and said, I thought you were okay, Tony, but now you're saying you believe in the devil? You know, that, you know, and it's like, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, like to disappoint you, but yeah, because that's what the scriptures teach. You know, that that's exactly what Jesus himself said. You know, Jesus believed in Satan. Jesus believed that he existed. I mean, when you look at what Jesus himself said, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He uses the name Satanos. In the Greek, and it's, a, it's not only a title, but it's also a personification. It's, it's, it's a name. And he names him here. Jesus says he exists. Jesus identifies him as a person. But I understand in our culture that's resistant to that. In fact, a recent survey in Barna said a majority of Christians don't believe Satan is real. In fact, 59% agreed with the statement that he's not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. He's a symbol, not a person, not, not a spiritual being, not something that's active, but just a, a symbol of evil. And really, it's, and, and people that strongly disagree, 26% strongly disagreed with that statement. Only a quarter of Christians strongly disagreed that Satan isn't real, basically, isn't a person. And so I understand Let me ask you this question. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in an all-powerful, good being? Then why is it, if that's the case, you can't believe in this powerful, spiritual, evil being? Why is it you can believe in one spiritual being and not the other? And then what do you do with Jesus, who says he's real, who says he exists, and then what do you do with the rest of the scriptures and, and, the, and the apostles, the, the disciples of Jesus who say he's real, right? Because Paul definitely is saying he's real, which is what he's reminding this church at Ephesus and us today. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There, there might be evil in the world, and there is, and there's evil perpetrated in our world, but there's a darker evil behind it. The true enemy lives behind the evil that we see in the world but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and then against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul four times personifies this creature, this being, these creatures, Satan and his demons. He's giving us and this church in Ephesus a picture that he's real, but he's also powerful. We make a mistake if we we think him just a symbol 
Paul says, no, he's, he's powerful. And he lets us know that he's serious by talking about him in four different ways. So he's not powerless, but he's a powerful opponent. And it's not flesh and blood. It's not you and I that are the enemy here. Paul's making it very clear. He's brought these Gentiles into these Jewish believers. He says, not, quit fighting amongst yourselves. Right? You're not the enemy. The enemy is out there. There's a, there's a bigger enemy. There's a darker enemy than anything you've seen in this world. There's evil behind it. In fact, Peter himself says this. He said, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what he does. He's real. Jesus says he's real. He personifies him, and all of the disciples do, and the scriptures talk about him from beginning to end. To dismiss Satan would be dismissing most of scripture. And so I ask you that question. Have you made too little of him? Maybe it's time that maybe you, you take a different look at, at what Jesus is saying, at what the Bible's saying, is what his disciples are saying, that there's truly an enemy working against us and working against us all the time. We live in enemy territory. And we would be, it would be smart to, to remember that. So next, so what is it we're fighting? We know who it is, Scripture tells us, but what is it we're fighting? Are we fighting this all-powerful being? Because Paul says he's, or he's really powerful, but is he all-powerful? Scripture would teach us that he's not all-powerful. That he's powerful, but not all-powerful. He does have schemes. I would argue from Scripture that, that he doesn't control the wind, he doesn't control the storms, he doesn't control disease and things like that. That's not his tools. His, his tools, as we read in Scripture, are, are things like lies and deception. That's exactly what the name means. Liar, deceiver, adversary. That's what he does. His schemes are lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what we're fighting against, our lies. Perpetrating as the truth. That's, that's what he does. He parades this lie and paints it in, in, in colors and, and tries to pass it off as the truth. And, and we gobble it up like a fish gobbles bait. And so on one hand, we see ourselves dismissing him, saying he's nothing. But then on the other hand, we see him and we think he's all-powerful. Right? We're so afraid we see him everywhere. Right? I mean, you hear people, it's like, Satan be gone, Satan be gone, Satan be gone. Everything is Satan. C.S. Lewis says in Screwtape Letters, he says this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. Why is that? Because it causes us to underestimate him. It also causes us to overestimate him. And either way, Satan wins. Right? We make him nothing, and we just keep falling prey to his tactics. We make him everything, and we're so afraid to do anything. And so he sits back and is like, I'm fine with either one. So what, what, what is it that we do? 
what we have to understand, it's not just that simple. It's not just he's, he's everything or he's nothing. I believe it's much more nuanced than that, as it is in all battles, as it is in all wars. If you read battle tactics, as I've been studying this past week, this is what I found. When wars are fought, they're for, fought on four fronts. They're fought on the military front, and they're all fought simultaneously. On the military front, they're fought on the political front, they're fought on the economic front, and they're also fought with propaganda, all simultaneously. A good battle, a good tactic is to fight all four, not just one, but all four. In the 17th century, uh, a Puritan minister named Richard Baxter highlighted four areas that he believes we battle as human beings. And we would behoove to understand that it's not just Satan or it's nothing or it's just the way life is. But there's, there's this nuanced, there, there's a battle being fought and it's being fought on, on several fronts. We live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. I mean, there are things in this world that aren't the way they're supposed to be, but that's, that's the result of sin in the world. And, and we, we battle that. We battle that in our own bodies as our bodies are breaking down and things are going wrong. And we battle that in our own sinful nature. So it's not just as simple as it's all Satan or it's just the way life is. Richard Baxter says this. He says, no, we fight it on the psychological front. Speaking of people that maybe deal with depression or melancholy, he said, we fight it on a psychological front that maybe there is this, this, this way of, of seeing things and, and psychologically we're just depressed. We also fight it on the medical front. Right? I mean, there are things that could be wrong with us physically in our brains. There could be things wrong with us physically in our bodies that are causing this melancholy, that are causing this depression. There could be things actually physically wrong with us that need to be healed and treated with medicine and with doctors. It could be a moral failure in our lives that's afflicting us. It's something that we actually did that we know that we did. And we can't let go of it, and it's impacting our minds, and we're continually living in the past of our failures. And that melancholy overcomes us. But then finally, he says there's also this demonic front where there is this demon, there is this evil force that Paul identifies that is fighting against us. He believes that when we deal with that in our world today, it can be any one or all of these. And usually it's not just one, it's a combination of them. And so to sit there and say, well, it's all the devil, is, is giving the devil way too much credit. And to say, well, it's just the way life is, and that's just the straw you drew. You know, it's like, ah, that's, that's making it too simplistic as well. It's much more nuanced than that. And we as Christians need to have that understanding because we see that in Scripture. Remember, Satan, his tools are that of lies. And tricking us into believing is just that simple. It's just another way that he deceives us. Another 17th century Puritan minister named Thomas Brooks wrote this. He says, whatever sin the heart of man is most prone to, that the devil will help forward. Satan loves to sail with the wind and to suit men's temptations to their conditions and inclinations. Do you hear what he's saying? See, sometimes he's just sailing right along with you, and he sees the direction that you're going, and he just lets you go that way, right? And he knows you personally because he is a personal being, right? He knows your inclinations, 
And all he needs to know is that just sometimes just a whisper from the right person, from the right ad, from the right whatever, will just send you right down that path. He need not do anything else but just whisper that, and, and it just carries you right along where you're going. And that's exactly how Satan works. He lies, and he does that through this world and, and, and whispers that just carry us in, and we, we, we find ourselves there and, and over and over and over again. And he, he gets us battling and warring against one another, which I think is one of his worst deceptions, one of his most powerful deceptions, as, as history has proven, is that he gets us fighting, not him, but one another. Right? We find ourselves in this situation, and we're quick to blame somebody. We don't blame him. We blame somebody. And we don't want to blame ourselves, so we have to look for a scapegoat, and usually it's somebody else. How many of you are DC comic fans? Anybody? Marvel? Oh, yeah, no, right? Yeah, Marvel. I like Marvel. I like, I like Marvel, but I like DC too because I grew up watching Batman and Superman as a little kid, right? But, you know, there was a movie that came out. really didn't follow the comic, but there's a movie that came out in 2016 called Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, which made me sad that these two superheroes are fighting each other, right? I mean, something's wrong when that's happening. But in the movie, you know, the director, if you haven't read on the movie, you should read up on the director, you know, because there's a lot more going on in his mind in this movie than you, and you would expect. You should read up on that. But anyway, he's, he gives us this picture of, of these two superheroes, and they end up fighting each other. And the reason they fight each other in the movie, the, the reason it's given, is that Superman, in saving somebody, actually kills somebody that Bruce Wayne, you know, Batman, sorry, spoiler, is Batman, Bruce Wayne, and, and actually kill somebody that he knows. And now Batman is angry at Superman, and he doesn't trust Superman because he's all-powerful. Right? I mean, Batman's powerful because he's got all these gadgets, but Superman is powerful from just who he is. Right? And he's like, that's just dangerous. Somebody to have all that power, he can't be trusted. He's got this suspicion already in his mind. Right? And then all it takes is for this Satan figure to come along and sort of whisper in his ear, Right? And that figure in the movie is Lex Luthor, played by Jeremy I, I can't remember his name anyway. Lex Luthor comes along and whispers into Batman's ear as Lex Luthor, not the villain, but this supposedly philanthropist, and just pushes it along and says, you're right, he can't be trusted. Something needs, somebody needs to take him down, and I've got a weapon here that you can take him down. And he coaxes and just pushes him right along into fighting Superman. And just to guarantee, he kind of works the other end, right? But he does so really deceitfully, and Superman does, you know. And so they end up fighting one another. And that's what Satan does with us, right? That's what he does with us. He comes along, and he pushes us down, and he says, well, you can't trust that guy. You can't trust that girl. You, you just can't. That person in your office that, 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 that got the job that you wanted, now they're the enemy, Right? The, the person that got the spot on the team in school, they're the enemy. Right? And, and that's what he does. He keeps us pushing and, and warring against one another. That, that group of people over there, you know, the ones with different skin color, they're, they're less than you. You need, to, you need to put yourself above them. Right? That political party over there, that's the evil party. Right? They're the evil ones. 
And history's proven us that we just go right along in the wind with them and we fight one another endlessly. And we will continue to do that even as a church until we decide we're going to stop falling for these schemes and we start fighting as God would have us fight. Because we are not the enemy. There's a darker enemy behind it, and he is deceiving us and deceiving one another as less than kind of putting ourselves on a pedestal. But Paul reminds us as he writes to the church in Corinth, for we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They're the weapons of God. And that's where Paul starts. He says, so be strong in the Lord and use his weapons. You know, he's in prison and he uses these real life weapons of a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier to illustrate his points. But in no way does he mean for us to take them up and wield them like this against one another. No, there's another enemy that he calls us and he uses these images for us to help us understand how it is we are to fight. And he starts off this text and he says, remember, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. See, we're not strong enough on our own to stand up against Satan and his, and his, with all the willpower that we want, I fell for it again, I'm not falling for it again, I'm not doing that again, and then we find ourselves there again. And again, and again, and again. And Paul's saying, have you learned anything yet? You cannot do this on your own. The only way you can do this is to be strong in the Lord. And he goes on to tell us it's not just that, but to put on the full armor of God. All the pieces. Don't miss one. All the pieces together are required to fight this battle. The full armor of God, and it's his armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The you and the your there is plural. What Paul is saying is that you don't fight this alone. You fight this together. He's saying you, y'all, are to do this together, not alone. As we fight as a church, we fight together. As, a follow, as believers of Jesus Christ, we fight together, not alone. And we don't infight. We don't fight one another. We realize, as he says, we're not the enemy. The enemy's out there. And so we need to walk alongside one another, encourage one another, remind one another that I'm not the enemy, that she's not the enemy, that you're not the enemy. There is an enemy out there. And so we need to fight together. And we need to fight as God fought. As Jesus fought. You know Jesus' choice of weapon, don't you? It was a cross. See, the night that he was betrayed, they came and arrested him, and the guards came up to him, and as they began to, began to grab him, Peter grabs a sword, right, and reaches out and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. To which Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on the soldier's ear, and turns to Peter and says, Would you cut it out? Like, seriously, Peter? Do you not know that my father has 12 legions of angels at my disposal, and all I would have to do is call on them, and they would come to my aid? 
Remember, one night in the Old Testament, we were one night, one angel of God defeated 185,000 Assyrians. Think of the damage 12 legions of angels could do. Over twice the world population, by the way. And he's like, Peter, your sword will accomplish nothing. I love what John Lennox says about that scene. He says, here we are, and we want to fight like Peter. We want to cut the ears off our enemies. And Jesus is trying to put the ears back on our enemies. He says, you're trying to cut off their ears and then trying to give them the gospel. What good does that do? They need to be able to hear. They need to be able to see. They need to be able to understand. And the only way you do that is with the love of Jesus. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. We don't fight like the world fights. We fight like our Savior. We fight like the one who defeated the true enemy, the only one that could defeat that enemy. And we fight like him. We fight with his love. We pray for our enemies. We pray for our enemies. We don't fight like the world fights. It's the only way to overcome this evil one and the evil that's in this world is to fight like Jesus. So for the next six weeks, come back. We're going to look at each one of these pieces of armor and how we can realign that armor to use it as Jesus would have us use it. Not as we would want to use it, but as Jesus would have us use it so that together we can make a stand because Paul says when we do take up all that armor together, that we will stand. Not just stand, but we will be victorious. And we will be who's on the move. Remember, the gates of hell will not stand against God's church when we take up the full armor of God. Come back the next six weeks. Let's go to 2021 as an army of the Lord, not fighting as the world fights, but as Jesus would have us fight, winning souls for Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we give you thanks and glory and praise that you did not unleash your legions of angels Scripture, Paul reminds us that we are and we were your enemies. But yet you didn't come to destroy us, you came to save us. And you did so by punishing your son for our sins. Father, we just give you thanks that you have such love for us and concern for us. But we also come before you today and we confess to you that we fight like the world fights. I fight like I've learned to fight. I fight like I want to fight. Cutting the ears off of the people around me. And Father, I confess to you this morning that I do that far too often. But at the same time, your word reminds me that Jesus has healed me. He's, he has paid the price for those sins and he's given us new life. And today we experience that as we repent, we experience the absolution that we have in Jesus. That he is the one that raises us up off the ground. He is the one that on whose shoulders we stand. Father, this morning as, as we stand in his presence, as we stand in his power and your power, I pray that you would inhabit our words, our thoughts, our hearts, our minds as we go from this place today. As we live out this life, may they see Jesus. May they see Jesus.
It's in his name that I pray. Amen.